Titus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Helming Power Hour. <laughs> Welcome back to the Hell Ming Pow Hour, episode number 37. So, last episode, you know, kind of had a special episode that Danny kind of did by himself, and I appreciate that. I was kind of sickly. So, uh, he drove War Racket Ajax all by himself. And speaking of the commander, here he is, Mr. Danny Bennett. Hey, you know, and I'm I'm glad to do it, and I'm sorry about those scratches alongside of the hull. I'm sure those will buff out. It's not a oh, big yeah. deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and anybody who's a, a fan of Clerks out there knows the uh, importance of episode 37. I'll let you look that one up yourself. <laughs> Unless it's coming to you right now, which I think it just did to Rick. Yeah, episode 37. I don't think mine had a number, did it? Did it? Uh, no, because no. it's, a, it's no. a special episode. That way, if we have special ones like that, we can just say special episode number two, number three. That's right. That's right. It wasn't really an episode. It was just something because we appreciate you being out there. And we wanted to make sure that you uh, had something new from us this week you know because we had already had to skip one and life yep. is is beating us down but but we can put something together we will survive let's hope yeah <laughs> i didn't know that was in question <laughs> there's something you need to tell me no no so we covered Nightbreed last time we got together which is one of our favorites collectively one of danny's all-time favorites so we get to cover one of my all-time favorites today which is phantom of the paradise 1974 i absolutely love this crazy movie yeah and i wouldn't have known anything about it and if you hadn't have introduced it to me and i'm so thankful that you did i, I rewatched it again for this and at first, I was like, what am I watching? And that happens every time because <laughs> yeah. it's just such an unusual film. Yep. Uh, most, but by the end, I was I was seeing the genius again. Most people kind of have that same uh, mindset when they're watching. It's like, I don't, I don't get it. You know, I've talked to several people. And the thing is, is you kind of have to go through it to understand it. It's not any one thing in particular. So that's why it's a cult classic. It hits all my buttons. So I'm super excited to talk about it. Whoa. <laughs> Somebody shooting guns over there? I don't know what that was. It, <laughs> it came from the window, and uh, I'm hoping no one has been shot. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, buckwheat has been shot. <laughs> Ooh, I'd a dose of duckweed. Don't not the nook. 
Oh, we're too old. <laughs> so, yeah, folks, we're going to be back in just a couple of minutes and talk about Feather Paradise. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Hail Ming Power Hour is brought to you by Seth Rogaine. Grow hair and a crude sense of humor. And loyal subjects of Mongo like you. finally living the life he always wanted. He married the girl of his dreams. You know me. It's my duty to please that booty. He had a good job as a teacher. You ain't no real teacher, fool. Nothing but a sub, is I am a real teacher. And he left his old neighborhood behind. But his brother was left behind to deal with the toughest gang in the city. Wet Hawks. Juan Epstein. Do you want to play rough? Say hello to my little friend! Freddy Boom Boom Washington. You hear me talking, hillbilly boy? I ain't do what you oh. by damn sight. I'ma get medieval on your ass. Arnold Horshack. This town deserves a better I'm gonna give it to And Vinny Barbarino. Hey, there ain't no settling down. This is blood for blood and part of gallons. This is the old days and the bad days, the all or nothing days. They're back. Now, it's Mr. Cotter versus the Sweat Hogs. Why don't we cut you up into little pieces and feed you to your pooches? Hmm? And then we'll see how loyal a hungry dog really is. Uh, don't give me attitude, sir. They killed the giggler, man. They killed the giggler! That wasn't smart. No, not too smart. And this teacher has a new lesson for this city. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me! I thought you were gonna be cool. Now when you yell at me, it makes me nervous. And when I get nervous, I get scared. And when motherfuckers get scared, that's when accidentally get shot. Starring Sam Jackson as Mr. Cotter. Every time my fingers touch brain, I'm super fly TNT. I'm the guns of the Navarone. Mickey Rourke as Vinnie Barbarino. There's no choices left. And I'm ready for war. And featuring John Travolta as Principal Woodman. Ain't it cool? Correct the mundo. And that's what we're gonna be. We're gonna be cool. Welcome back, Cotter. Oh, oh, oh. I don't remember asking you a god thing. Cheese and crackers. <laughs> Wrong button. And we're back. <laughs> 
<laughs> like the cheese and crackers. <laughs> That's what happens when you put too many sound clips on your keyboard. You don't know which one is which anymore. We're out well, of practice, dude. <laughs> it's not your fault. I mean, you have all the stuff on your end. I need to get some sound effects over here, like, I don't know, like like moose mating calls or something. <laughs> we can, yeah, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man, here we are. 1974, Brian De Palma's cult classic, Phantom of the Paradise, like I said earlier, one of my all-time favorite movies, and I cannot wait to jump into the time machine and go back and talk about this awesome, awesome movie. Yeah, I had to go out shopping to make sure that I was able to, to get the kind of wardrobe I needed to uh, to go back in time to 1974. Yeah, because, that's a stretch. Yeah, I mean, we can't just pass off in our, in our, um, our contemporary duds yeah. and, and not, be, not be caught. 77s as far as we've gone back so this is uh this is a total change of wardrobe for sure yeah in 1974 i was born <laughs> i was four <laughs> so there you go i mean so anybody out there who's decent at math probably already knows how old we are because we talk about it all the time <laughs> we're old old shut up rick <laughs> All right, so there's nothing left to do. Let's jump into the time machine. Time machine, okay. Oh, here we go. And my leg's still out, no? (laughs) Time chicken, take me away! I'm glad that fundraiser was good. We we need the time chicken. Yep. Oh, yeah. There we go. 1974. Hey, look. Everybody's singing about uh, share a Coke. <laughs> share a Coke and a smile because yeah. Vietnam just ended. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, yeah. The closing. Get serious there. Woo. Hey, why's that ending crying over there? <laughs> oh. Oh. Man. <laughs> We've come a long way, and it was probably necessary. <laughs> Wait, or have we? Well, okay. Sure we have. Not, yeah, sure we have. <laughs> so Brian De Palma's masterpiece, Fan of the Paradise. Here we are, 1974, yep. back to look at the source. Yep. To look at the source. That's right. So, and the only way that is possible, I know we kind of skipped it, but we got to talk about our, our sponsors, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that you have the recent crop of sponsors, so what do we have? Well, the most recent one was kind of, you know, what you started while we were down and out. But we got uh, Bennett's Family Dental, where their uh, motto is, is uh, we do business in your mouth. <laughs> well, you know, I, I thought that that would, that would get some eyeballs to our, uh, our advertisements. And really, it hasn't worked out so well because no one in my family is a licensed dentist. But we do our best. We do. we do our very best. That's right. And also, our biggest sponsor we've had yet, I'm pretty ex- ex- excited about this one, but it's Nicholas Cage's Acting School. And their motto is, we put the team in acting. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hell me. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Not the big. <laughs> All right, man. 1974. 
Phantom Paradise. We've got a synopsis from... This is somebody new to me. But this is... Uh, to tell us about Phantom Paradise is Strong Bad. This is Strong Bad. You might remember me from that video where I taught you how to draw a dragon. Trogdor, the Burninator. The Hail Ming Power Hour. Who are these guys anyway? Some kind of kid show about dictators? I'm supposed to tell you for them about the Phantom of the Paradise. What? Is that a, is that a real thing? I remember once me and the cheat snuck into a theater and saw a phantom show. It was about songs and a girl, and then there were animals and costumes. I think it was the Lion King. I think it's kind of like that. Phantom of the Paradise. Enjoy. <laughs> nah, it's strong bad. Yeah, it's um. There's a there's a, a website called Homestar Runner. Yeah, and it's it was real popular about I don't know. 10 years ago <laughs> and you still still see the the uh, the characters from it pop up here and there and and the the main draw from it was strong bad's emails he uh, people would uh people would email him dumb stuff and he and they would do a little thing where he kind of made fun of them oh kind of like this show <laughs> yeah yeah actually if you and i sent you in the uh the link with that with that synopsis one video of his yeah so it kind of gives you the flavor of it but uh, they're funny yeah, I don't know that those guys are still doing it. One of the things that was cool about those guys is they refused to advertise their page. They were like, you know, if you find out about our page, we're good, we'll sell you T-shirts or something, but we're not going to put ads on other pages because we don't want to be part of that internet clutter. And for a while, you know, they had a pretty decent following, and then I guess it <laughs> fell away. There, it was a couple of brothers, and they did all the animation on it and all the skits and stuff. Huh. That's but it's cool. it's worth a look. Homestarrunner.com. It's it's funny. There you go. All right, cool. So, let's get this thing started. Danny, what is your number one reason to watch Phantom of the P? So, like I said before, when you start to watch it, it just kind of it kind of falls away and I'm going to give I'm going to give my my top reason as kind of a caveat. If you're watching this movie, wait till the headline reads <laughs> Mad Toonsmith Bites Bullet. And from that point on, the movie makes a lot more sense. But the run-up to it is so manic, yeah. That that like you, you got to wait to that point. At that point, it all kind of comes together. But they have to get you there, right? So I'm gonna say, once that 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 spiraling headline comes in, Mad Toon Smith bites bullet. Start paying attention, and before that, just kind of let it crash over you like waves. <laughs> and it says down there, and then you know, musician and, and convicted doper. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very sarcastic. The yeah. whole thing is really just very. So, what I love about this movie, and it's the whole picture, and really what it's getting down to is the music industry and how it works, and how just terrible it can be. How you can be an aspiring musician, and once you get your chance, you're finding out that it's all manipulated and it's all about the money and nothing else. So, you know, this story takes the idea of really kind of what you see now so all of you listening out there have you ever listened to a song that comes on and it's something you grew up with and you're getting into it then all of a sudden somebody starts rapping over it and you're like no that's what this movie is about it's about people taking people's original work and turning it into crap basically uh 
De Palma got the idea from riding in an elevator, and he heard some Beatles music played as Muzak, and he thought, man, these people need to be executed. So that was the the backbone of what even got this story going. And uh, I just love the concept of, you know, you take the trip with Winslow, who is the musician who sells his soul. So it's got so many tips of the hat to classic sci-fi and horror movies. Phantom of the Opera, for sure. Uh, Dorian Gray, you've got a, a piece that kind of reflects on that. you got a part of Faust in there. And it even tips the hat to Psycho in certain parts, too. So it's just a big mishmash of stuff. And I think that's why it's got such cult appeal is it's not any one thing, which is the same problem it has from being successful is you can't put your finger on it. Kind of like this show. That's right. And, you know, I don't have the same perspective on it that you do you know and i think that you have a lot more of a, a music awareness you know you've always had a lot of, of uh, favorite musicians and favorite music and favorite genres of music and you've produced music so a lot of that's very personal to you i mean yeah. for my experience with this it, it you know it's a lot more the foul size it's, it's about fame right it's kind of like uh it's kind of like andy warhol talks about his 15 minutes of fame well our main character you know swan he was about to lose his 15 minutes of fame and he made a deal for the power to keep it. And since he can keep it, he's he's using it to kind of give other people their 15 minutes, you know, but he controls when they get it. He controls when they lose it. And for that reason, he's got power in this industry that's that's full yeah. of powerful people and money. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, the story tells itself once it gets going. He becomes the industry. That's that's what he represents. And even though he sold his soul to the devil, he is that industry that everybody wants a piece of. But be careful what you ask for, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, oh, man, this is such a complicated... It, it doesn't seem like a complicated story, but it is. Oh, it's got a lot to it. You know, and for that reason, I think Brian De Palma was the perfect person to do it because Absolutely. he's very good bringing yeah. several things together and having it all still make sense. Yeah, and you get to see early stages of De Palma here where he's pulling these ideas that he becomes known for later on. So this is him really getting into his element and, man, he doesn't hold back. There's <laughs> so many split screens and, and just craziness going on. The spinning newspaper, you can tell where he pulled some ideas from. But, man, this this movie's 30, 40 years ahead of its time as far as the content of what they're talking about. That's what I love about it. So, uh, another big, big, big reason for a little, little bitty guy, Paul Williams, man. This movie is <laughs> nothing without Paul Williams. Yeah, and, and if you're not, you know, if you're saying Paul Williams, Paul, where have I heard that before? Well, think about the Rainbow Connection, obviously. Right. I mean, yeah. There, there's a lot of reasons where you would have heard of him. He is a singer-songwriter who is prolific, and he probably permeated your childhood in every possible way. Right. But the Rainbow Connection is a perfect example of, of him writing a song that was iconic, putting it in front of a billion eyes and ears. Right. And, and just writing that, because he's just that good. Yep. And he is our main character, Swan. Yep. So you've got, you know, he wrote uh, Evergreen for Barbara Streisand. He wrote a lot of the hits for the Carpenters. I mean, the guy was a music-making machine. The baby face of his time. <laughs> Hell, <Ming. laughs> ah. well, He definitely has a baby face. Yeah. <laughs> and baby teeth. And, yeah, baby and a baby fingers. body. 
The only thing in baby that he doesn't have is hair. His Dude, hair. That's not a baby. It's weird. Awesome. I, <laughs> I still want to grow my hair like Paul Williams. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I make fun, but I mean, I, I think he. The good thing about him is, I think he'd be right along there with you. You know, he he takes what he's got and he works it. And if you were making fun, he'd be he'd be smiling along next to you. So okay, you haven't seen Fan of the Paradise. Shame on you. You haven't seen it. Shame on you twice. So what's a first reason that I've got? I know I kind of jumped ahead. I said, be careful to, to not pass judgment early on. My first reason reason is the juicy fruits. <laughs> yes. So Swan's got this band that he kind of feeds the, the popular tunes to. He kind of puts in front of the cameras and they're the juicy fruits. And when he needs, you know, somebody to do the new sound, well, they kind of change. They morph from... Yeah, you know, from a nostalgia wave band, which is where we start, right. where they're all you know greasers from the the nineteen fifties. Yeah, Sha Na Na um, ripoff is what they are. That you know what it's representing is that Sha Na Na late sixties, early seventies movement. Right, and you know it's it's you'll see it because that's how the movie opens. Yeah, but you know they they are the quintessential. Studio yep. musician chameleons. Yeah, you know whatever you need us to do, we're talented enough to pull it off, and we need the money enough not to worry about how it changes who we are. And the juicy fruits are a great reason. I mean, this whole introductory scene with them is just ridiculous. <laughs> and yeah. don't worry about the bad lip syncing. You know, don't worry about any of that because it's it's like a stage play at this point. You're just right. watching it unfold. Don't get too wrapped up in the the visuals there. Except for the fact that uh, one of the guys jumps off the stage and comes back on stage with, like, a bra in his mouth. And they're passing a joint that's big enough to, you know, kill somebody. And <laughs> right. He hoists some girl up on the table and and uh, and they get into a fight with somebody. I, I mean, all these things. That it, it's kind of like they simultaneously show you something that's pretty to watch and then show you the seedy underbelly of it at the right. same time. Right. That's the Palma, man. Juicy Fruits, and they also turn into a 60s surf band later on. And uh, then, even beyond that, and like I said, this movie's ahead of its time, you get a pre-kiss kiss, basically. Uh, you know, when they come out and do the song, they've got the makeup on, and they're cutting body parts out of people in the crowd, and we'll probably get into that later on, but they do a big theatrical show that's very much a Alice Cooper slash Kiss show. And Kiss hadn't come out yet, so who knows? It's true. I mean, and uh, I, the first thing I thought in that scene was Alice Cooper, but sure. you know, the the Juicy Fruits uh, are a reason to watch it because they're they're kind of the the musical henchmen of Swan. Right. So it's kind of like you know the person that was behind putting say in sync together and just feeding them songs, and they just do whatever you know the main people want them to do because that's going to make them popular same thing here these guys really have no gumption of what it is they want to do they just want to be successful so they'll take whatever swan throws at them and oh so this is a you know 60s thing okay we'll do it this way getting down to the story is swan is stealing Winslow Leach's music, which is the, the the person we take the trip with in the movie, taking his music and changing it for the Juicy Fruits to have hits with it. In order to keep that secret, they try to knock Winslow Leach 
off, which is where the spinning newspaper comes up saying that he's bit the dust. You know, the police shot him because he was a convicted dope fiend. And there's a whole story into that that we won't get into. You just have to see the movie because the first 15 minutes, you get so much thrown at you, you know, to speed you up to where we get to where the actual story is going. Yeah, it's kind of like Raising Arizona where it, it, it drops you in, but it gives you a really decent introduction to all the characters in the story and right. then it picks you up there yeah so yeah for me next reason i mean you've got a great cast here and it's gonna be hard not to name every one of them but garrett graham playing beef <laughs> is the heart and soul of this movie and uh his relationship with philbin which is the kind of uh swan's right hand man the relationship those two have which is where my top five lines came from <laughs> But those two together are great. And Beef, again, this is De Palma predicting the future way ahead of schedule because Beef is the the man's man. He's the heavy metal god, you know. And uh, But really, he's not heavy metal at all, you know. He talks with the lisp and, you know, he's, you know, going to Cincinnati to see his mother and, you know. Oh, so, yeah. You know, just like we talked with Rob Halford, I mean, here was the metal god, but he wouldn't as metal as you thought. And, man, this is 1974, and he's already, you know, De Palma's already seeing through this stuff and going, if, what if if they weren't that person, you know? So, uh, I don't know, man. So, so interesting, the directions this thing goes. Oh, I agree. And, you know, I think that Beef is 100% a top reason to watch this oh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so you haven't watched the movie again shame on you you haven't watched the movie about halfway through Swan needs a change of direction in the music the juicy fruits are passe he brings in a new heavy hitter and it's beef yeah and just, just like Rick said you know on the stage he's he's this this metal god and on on off stage he's this uh whiny debutante i mean and it's fantastic (laughs) everything that he touches is gold i mean he's entertaining from the moment he gets on to the moment he's off and almost he's the most likable character in the movie sure yeah i mean even winslow who you take the story with he gets horribly violent right about his music and that's kind of a that's kind of a a a deus ex machina they need him to be unpredictable for some things so he sets up early on he says i'm sorry i I get i get very violent when it comes to my music right so you know they have this this trigger they can pull whenever they need him to do something just to change drastically the story but beef on the other hand is just a performer yeah and he's a performer yeah and he's given kind of carte blanche to change everything so he really doesn't know that he's he's messing up leech's music he just knows he's making it his own right Right, and of course, and he even tries to walk away. Sure, you know? yeah, he's trying to get out of there, man. He said, "You know, I, this this guy just threatened me. I, I think I'm out of here," <laughs> and uh, and he gets kind of forced back out. Um, but but yeah, beef is 100 percent a reason to watch the movie, yeah. even if you just watch the story of beef, man. It's it's fantastic, it's good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, another reason, like I said, it's groundbreaking. Uh, Forty years ahead of its time. Not just in the in the idea of the music world, but also the fact of you've got video cameras everywhere. It's almost like Big Brother is watching. You've got basically the same setup that you have for every reality TV show that's a hit now is what's going on in this movie. Everything's being videotaped. 
Everything's being watched. They're even planning to do a live broadcast where somebody gets assassinated to make ratings go up. How incredible that process is of, you know, now that is what we are doing. We have reality TV shows that are not reality at all. It's all planned out. And uh, this thing was just way ahead of the curve as far as that. And I, I just think it's so brilliant. It's, it's very conspiratorial. And it's um, it has a lot of uh, skepticism about the validity, about the truthfulness of the entertainment industry. Yeah. And, you know, and just like you're saying, you know, they're, they're, they're cobbling together this and that to make a story that people will watch. Because ultimately, it's all about putting something on the screen that people want to turn on. Right. I'm not even going to get into much of the rip-offs from this thing. Like we said, we already saw a pre-kiss kind of thing. you got the video camera thing. You've got... Here's a big one. When uh, Winslow becomes the Phantom, he loses his voice. And Swan decides to make a deal with Winslow to keep making music because he knows this guy writes gold. So he makes a deal with him to write the music for Phoenix to sing, which is Jessica Harper, another big, big reason to watch the movie. And uh, during that process, in order for him to record, he makes a little voice box that he wears around his neck with blinking red and green lights and blue lights. And when he breathes, it goes... So... So what are you saying, Rick? (laughs) I am saying that even George Lucas has said that he kind of took the idea for Darth Vader's box. The breathing box. <laughs> right. Helming. From Fan of the Paradise. Hello. Groundbreaking. And and and, and go to today, you know, the, the voice modulation that, that Winslow has through his mask. Yeah. Sounds a lot like Kylo Ren. There you go. So you're gonna Star Wars and Fan of the Paradise? Surprisingly Blood Brothers yep. or Soulmates or something. <laughs> now, the genius behind all of this, too, is when he's got the voice box and you've got him in the studio and Swan's got him all wired up. You've got all these cables and he's running the sound back through a board while he's singing and performing these songs and Swan is manipulating his voice to change it just like Swan's voice. And when it gets to sound just like Swan's voice, he says, perfect. So you can look at that in two different ways, man. He's changing his voice to either give himself credit for writing the songs. Hey, that's me singing it. They're my songs. Or he thinks that much of himself that his voice is the perfect voice. You know, there's... there's. Oh, I, just... I, think, I think it absolutely, to me, has always been he's changing it to his voice so, you know, they can write Winslow out. Right. Yeah. Winslow is supposedly dead anyway, so he's using him. And here's another thing: you know, Winslow is is being the fan of the opera. He injures people on stage. Yeah. You know, he he steps in there and, and he does some damage, and and he's got everybody scared of what he can do except for Swan. Right. You know, he he confronts Swan, and Swan just turns the tables on him. He's right. like, "What are you going to do? Are you going to keep killing everybody, or are you going to get your music heard?" Right. right. And he starts pushing those buttons, and then he gets Winslow working for him. Right. They even signs a contract, blood contract, which ties in later on because you can tell Winslow's been duped again in all of this process. So A deal with the devil. Deal with the devil. And he even tries to kill himself 
And then Swan walks up to him, and he's, he's outside, he's on a roof, and he stabs himself, and he falls down dead. And Swan stands over him with an umbrella and is like, What's wrong with you? Did you not read your contract? You can't kill yourself. I own you. You can't do this. So he wipes the spot where the blood is pouring out, and there's nothing there. And, you know, then Swan starts talking about all these grand ideas of maybe write a duet for me and and uh, Phoenix. And Winslow takes the knife and tries to stab Swan with it. And Swan just pulls the knife out and goes, I'm under contract too. And you're like, wow, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, I mean... So here you have it. You know, you're in, you're watching this this film that f- fudges every kind of line. You know, is it reality because it's so dirty and seedy about the music industry, or is it fantasy because so much of it looks like a stage play and we have magic? It, you know, it it goes so many different places. I can right. see why people are confused by it. Yeah, but you have to look past all that and just kind of try and take it all in. Yeah, it's it's a lot to take in, and most of you know I hate musicals. And this one is so close to being a musical, but it's not. The reason being is the only time the songs are performed is when they're on stage performing. They're not just breaking out a song out in an alleyway, you know. It's not that kind of thing. So that's what really breaks it up. So the big things for me is I love, love, love the soundtrack. Again, Paul Williams. All kinds of music directions from the 70s. Perfect casting for this. Just, just everything about it, man. De Palma working the camera, doing all the stuff, the the wittiness behind the stuff that's in the story. Every time I watch this, I pick up on something else I didn't see before. And here's the thing about it that you, <laughs> you say that you're you hate musicals all the time, and it's usually when we're covering a musical that you like, which maybe has only been a couple, but still. How many musicals we cover? One. The pirate movie. That's not a musical. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh yeah. Keep pumping. Blowing. Oh, no. Oh, no. Anyway, so I've got a reason to watch it. All right. Phoenix's super trained dance. <laughs> so Phoenix. Phoenix. Phoenix, the girl who comes in singing all of Winslow's work. Winslow's smitten with her, loves her voice. Uh, she's the one to do his uh, sonata. Yeah. Um. She she gets to do her audition finally after uh, a comedy of errors and and uh, and again you'll see the seedy underbelly where really they're just bringing women in to to abuse and use them right uh, but she gets her chance on stage and when she does she gets so into the song that she just <laughs> she dances off the stage in her little you know like she's got her little arms going chugga chugga you know yeah. and it's she's doing a little train dance off the stage man it's kind of it's pretty entertaining. And then you got the woman back there with the hair that's braided up, but kind of looks like a Chewbacca standing back there, like, <laughs> oh, she's real good. Chewbacca, man. Chewbacca knows music. What a Wookiee! <laughs> oh, yeah, such a weird scene, you know, her trying out. But, you know, she's got the chops. She gets the job. And like you said... Going back to all the girls being brought in, there's the scene where Swan has his harem of women, you know, laying there on the bed, and they all are looking for their chance to, you know, be a backup singer or whatever. But really, just being in the in the scene, if anything else. And of course, Swan just gets his pick of whoever, and so it's it ties into all that seedy underness, like you were talking about too. 
and it does that repeatedly through the movie. I, I, the yep. next thing I've got here is the music writing montage, yep. oh, yeah. where they're showing music being written, yep. and they're showing it written by Winslow, and it's simultaneously so... It's such good cinematography, and it's such an ugly story. Yeah, yeah. And then, while that's going on, you've got the same song that Swan is taking and trying to change it through all these different styles of music. He's got the people that are at his desk, and it's the same song. And they're doing totally different versions of it. He's trying to find a selling point, and that's when he picks beef. Right, right. And that's a great little little yeah. scene. You got, like, the country guy. To work it out, I let him in. You know? Well, and he even says on that one, he's like, pretty. Pretty, but, but not right. So I've got a, I've got a reason being auditioning Phoenix's replacement right here. Yeah. Uh, so we're in agreement 100%. I've got the gold record clock is like the Twilight Zone. Right. Well, funny you say that, because at the very yeah. beginning, who's doing the dialogue at the beginning? Rod Serling. Rod Serling. Yeah. That's right. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, I mean... Having Rod Serling do the intro to your movie is is pretty ballin' right there. Absolutely, that's, that's about as good as you get. Cool stuff, man. I've got other things I've got. There's <laughs> there's so many reasons, but it's a '70s extravaganza, man. You, you want to see some '70s? This has got it. And uh, like right. I said, Jessica Harper. I mean, we all know her from all the movies. We grew up fans of Suspiria and all the other things that she's in. But man, she can sing. And she actually beat Linda Ronstadt for this part for the movie because of her voice. Well, yeah, and her voice is great. It's it's very unique. Well, the next thing, the next reason I've got is Swan uses the same two guys as bouncers <laughs> and agents and also brick workers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, I need something done. I need you to brick up this guy in this room. Well, he's the same guys that he had like guarding his door. Yeah. And like a, a crazy Keystone Cops, you know, sped up, let's kick Winslow out of the building yeah. scene. You know, like <laughs> he's got these same guys that are just kind of his go-to henchmen. Yeah. He's and in that way, he's like a supervillain. He's got these henchmen that do work for him. Yep. They'll do and everything he, he does is awful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he, even the cops are bought off. That's the thing about it, you know. Because when they kick him out and he's wearing the dress because he's trying to get in there with the women and they kick him out and they put some uh, heroin in his purse and the cops say, hey, what's that he got in his purse? Swan said he had it on him, you know, so it's just everybody is in on the business. Like I said, it just shows you the the nasty underbelly. And, And Winslow is so hopelessly naive. It's this whole thing. Wait, that's not mine. Wait, I'm innocent. Yeah, I, I don't want you to take my teeth out. I'm innocent. I, I, that that one is the one that gets me. Where you know they're well, here we are in Sing Sing, and we're having a new <laughs> dental program. So who wants to have all their teeth pulled out? And he's like, I don't want to have my teeth pulled out. This poor guy gets run through the ringer. Yeah, and I still say that Beef is probably more innocent because yeah, he just at least he know. never signed the contract. That the the line and and I. Could, I'm not going to save it for top five lines. You mentioned it. Uh, Swan comes to the Winslow and says, "Well, why don't you just you know work for me?" And Winslow still is skeptical, and he says, "I don't trust you." And he says, "Well, you don't have to. Don't Here's have a to. contract." Yeah. <laughs> and the contract's like 800 pages long. <laughs> it's all written in, in in indecipherable legalese, and he ends up signing it in blood. It's like three of the worst possible things you can get from somebody <laughs> you don't trust. 
This is this is all all items excluded would be deemed included. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Oh, that's a transportation clause. And you know, just like you said, it's it's a uh, it's the story of the industry. Did I mention I love this movie? <laughs> no, I, I I think you did once or twice. Yeah. So big selling point. If you like cool music, super seventies, flavored with a little bit of horror. Flavored with a little bit of sci-fi, lots of humor, a lot of fast-moving visuals going on. If you like Brian De Palma, good grief. If you like Paul Williams, I, I don't know, man. To me, this movie should be a required scene for everybody. I mean, just let's say you saw it. And one of the things that I've got in my notes that I have to mention to all of you out there who are listening to this and you're trying to decide you know, how you feel about it, this movie is at least two movies. Yeah. You know, it's so much content that at some point it's, there's a point in it where it could have ended. Yeah. And it just kept going. Yep. And it's not exactly a bad thing, but if you're not prepared for that, you might end up saying, this is almost too much. And and again, I I go back to that's probably why it didn't do as well, because it's just so much that you have to be ready for that. And it, it, the ending is so dark, too. I mean, that's something you don't expect. It, it really ends in this weird, horrific ending. Yeah. It's like, man, that, that's, that's, that's heavy. <laughs> that's heavy, man. You know, in the, in the end, I've got, you, you get to see more Phoenix dancing, which just gets weirder. <laughs> you know, as Phoenix stops being innocent and starts being an agent of, yeah, of chaos, she's there she, pulled in too. she gets yeah. even weirder. You know, they're all doing drugs and they're all, you know, laughing about their success. And, you know, she basically, she's not as bad as Philbin, but you get the idea that, you know, soon she will be. Yeah. Um, and I've got, you know, the end is like Ken Russell without the blue screen. True. Yeah. It is so bizarre and dream state and just technicolor. Yeah, just weird, man. And and then I've got there's a pan out with one girl wearing Winslow's mask. Right. Right. And she's just standing still. You know, everybody around her is is cavorting and 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 celebrating. And she's just standing still wearing that mask. And I don't know what all of it's supposed to mean, if it's supposed to mean anything, but the end of this movie is a spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. It was intended to be a spectacle where somebody got killed and somebody did get killed and then all hell broke loose. Yeah. And then it was a different kind of spectacle entirely. But the whole thing is you kind of get the idea that it was still a success. Yeah. It's it's just I don't know. It's incredible. <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, to the point that, you know, Danny and I go to Texas every year and a big part of this movie was shot in Texas and I actually drug him out to the swanage <laughs> right <laughs> and uh, had him videotape me walk the same path that Winslow walks in the movie and stuff so yeah man I'm geeky over this movie and uh, I just highly highly recommend it man I, I it, it just fits so many genres but you can't really put it in any of them if you're looking for a horror movie you're not gonna get it you know it, it, that's the thing about it. You can't lump this in with the Friday the 13th movies or anything like that. This thing is a standalone movie that I don't know what else you would even put in the same category. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's at least two movies. Yeah. You know, it makes me think of, and, and I, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but 
it makes me think of when Bob Rock got with uh, Metallica and Metallica was putting out albums where every song was eight minutes long. Right. And he said, hey, guys, each one of these songs is at least three songs. Yeah. If you put them, you know, if, if you separate them out, then it's going to be more palatable to, to people who listen to it. Well, this is an example of that kind of thing. Sure. Somebody could have come in and said, hey, man, this movie is at least two movies. You can make two different movies out of this. Yeah. But because it was the artist being the artist and nobody stopped him. Right. You just got to take it. Take it all in one sitting. Yep. It is a definite labor of love because there were so many lawsuits that happened with this movie just due to titles and things that happened in the movie. So, not to give too much away, but somebody gets electrocuted on stage. And when this movie came out, there was an artist at the time that actually got electrocuted on stage and it killed him. And their manager sued the movie because they thought they were plagiarizing, you know, what happened there. So, you know, there was, I think there was four or five different lawsuits for different things that any other case would have shut a movie down. And, well, and you know, like the the whole um, Led Zeppelin. Right. You know. Yeah, Swan Song. And it was going to be Swan Song Records and they said no because it was too close to what they had. Right. So if you watch the movie, there's places where there was a swan song logo and it was covered up because they couldn't use the name. After it was already shot and released, they had to go back and cover up where swan song is in this movie because of Led Zeppelin suing them. So yeah, there's a lot of history to this movie. And like I said, if it wasn't for the just being a labor of love, anybody else would just said, you know, forget this. You know, it's not worth it. Uh, again, just just my favorite movie that's all <laughs> well you know and just remember that you know you're going to see it we're not going to tell you the whole plot it, it would be a fool's errand at this point right but i'm going to say just remember it's phantom of the opera it's faust and and it's got it's got some um Dory cabinet Dory. of dr caligari kind Absolutely. of imagery in it yeah and i'm also going to say that the stage performance is like an alice cooper Sure. Yeah, it's it's very much. I mean, and it's a great stage performance. You know, it's got this whole. You know, they they have these giant needles and they're sewing together this Frankenstein of rock and roll. Yeah. Out of body parts that they're pulling from the crowd. Yeah. I mean, when you watch that stuff, I mean, I'd go to that show. (laughs) Yeah, it's got a very Rocky Horror feel to it. But like I said, Alice Cooper for sure. And uh, man, that doesn't get you excited. I don't know what else does. No, and, and I think the the Rocky Horror thing. I think when I was trying to explain it to my wife later after watching, I said, "You know, it's kind of Rocky Horrorish, and yep. you know, and beef is kind of Rocky." Yeah, yep, very much, and meatloaf mixed together. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, all right, man. I, I think we've we've uh, gone on enough about it. Let's get into top five lines. So you heard me say earlier that uh, the the relationship between Beef and Philbin is just fantastic because you got Mr. Rough and Tumble bodyguard guy, the the, the right hand man of Swan, and then you got Beef, who's Mr. Innocent, even though his character is supposed to be larger than life. And there's a scene where after Beef gets visited by the Phantom, and the Phantom warns him. Nobody sings my songs but but Phoenix. Anyone else who tries dies. So uh, 
Philbin's outside. There's a huge crowd going into the building. And he looks up and he sees Beef coming down a set of stairs with a guitar in each hand. He's got his coat on. He's leaving. Philbin goes up to him and says, Hey, where do you think you're going, Tinkerbell? And he goes, Cincinnati to see my mother. (laughs) (laughs) And there's, there's a whole bit of dialogue there that's just fantastic. You know, you just have to see it. So I've got a line. Um, Phoenix runs into Winslow, and she's about to audition to to this uh, music. And she asks Winslow, "Do you really think that I'm I'm good?" <laughs> and Winslow says, "I would never let my personal desires get in the way of my aesthetic judgment." One of my favorite lines. You know, and she goes, it's, it's fantastic. "What does that mean?" He goes, it "Means I think you're great." Because it, it points out just how naive Winslow is. You know, he doesn't even think for a minute that there's a possibility that he would lie about whether she could sing his songs. To get into her pants, which is exactly what's going on right. at the audition. Absolutely, he's the only he's a genuine person, and everybody else is just trying to to you know yep. live that hedonist lifestyle. And if they can get the girls you know that way, then they will. So my next line, also Philbin and Beef, but it's when the Winslow is trying to bust out. He realizes the music being stolen, and the brick walls there, and he screams. And Beef <laughs> Beef comes out of the bathroom and goes, What was that? And Philbin goes, What was what? You didn't tell me you didn't hear that terrible screech. Something is coming from beyond the grave. <laughs> he goes, and then Philbin goes, Look, Iron Man, why don't you go in there and take another shower and cool yourself? <laughs> and Philbin's a great big guy. <laughs> and Beef goes, Sure thing, Bones. <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. And Philbin is um, so. He's like a sad dog that you hate. <laughs> yeah, you look at him, you're like, oh, that. I kind of feel sorry for that guy. And then everything comes out of his mouth is just horrible. Right. And it's not like so overtly horrible. If you were just listening to it and you weren't hearing the words, and he's talking like this, and he says things like this. Yeah. But but everything he's saying is like, well, I just want you to deep six this this sob and make sure that they never work again. You know, like <laughs> he's oh, he's great character yeah. and so hateable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you you just go, I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> my, my next line: Winslow's working on uh, more music for uh, for Swan. And he hands it over, and Swan says, Tasty, Winslow. <laughs> Taste, Tasty. <laughs> oh, and then my favorite line you get the scene where Winslow and Phoenix are on the roof, and she doesn't recognize him. He's like, No, you don't understand. They'll kill you too. And she's like, No, let me go. And then Winslow looks at her and goes, You gonna eat those tacos? <laughs> <laughs> Damn <laughs> That's tasty. <laughs> tasty uh, Winslow, tasty. Tasty. <laughs> Carburetors, man. That's, That's what, what life's all about. <laughs> Folks, you gotta see this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're gonna wonder a couple times in the middle of it, why am I watching this? But give it the whole thing and then think back on it later. Because it's one of those things that once you've acquired it, you're gonna want to see more. Oh, also, just the fact of Garrett Graham, Beef, when he's like in his towel and he's about to jump in the shower and he's snorting the coke. <laughs> he's like really snorting whatever that is, man. You see it go up his nose. Oh. 
<laughs> Just something to look for there. And of course, he knows he's being watched by the camera, so he tries to hide from the camera. So, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I've got maybe maybe two little things to say about, you know, like I've got Swan saying, I give you the future. Beef. And then I've got Paul oh, Williams' yeah. teeth. Another reason to watch the movie, Paul Williams' <laughs> teeth, they're like unnaturally straight. <laughs> I don't know where he got his teeth. I don't know if they're like implants or what, but Paul Williams' teeth are beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rating time. time. (laughs) All right, man. What do you give it? I'm going to give this movie five gold record blockbuster sets from the Juicy Fruits. I'm going to give it 438 deer antler belts. <laughs> <laughs> he pokes them into him. Oh. Yeah. Beef's got oh, this belt awful. that he wears. It's got these deer antlers on it. It's hilarious. And he's wearing that jacket with the, with the horseshoe on the back and the horse head in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre. It's such a strange movie. <sighs> All right. And as always... Brian Blessed, what do you think of Phantom of the Paradise? Die! Oh, yeah. He likes it. I, I knew he, he would. It. Okay. Oh, we, hey, because we didn't get to ask. Brian Blessed, what do you think of uh, of Danny's solo episode last week? <laughs> blind? Blind on a rocket cycle? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it's good or if it's bad, but it's appropriate. It was fantastic. (laughs) All right, folks, we'll be right back. This is Max Cheatham, Dewey Cheatham and Hal. Vinny, booby, you've been leaving me hanging here. Oh, no. Then tell me, why is it the Paradise, the most elaborate rock venue in history, is opening in a week and we still don't have an amazing show-stopping number to headline? Danny, the Juicy Fruits... Hang on, just a second. I got another call coming in. Max Cheatham, Dewey Cheatham and Hal. Juicy Fruits, how's my favorite band? What's that? You want to buy a mansion for every member of the band? And a Cadillac apiece. Sounds fab. So what's to worry about, man? Take all your savings. Of course I know you need the Paradise lead. You guys are the greatest band in the world. You'll be on top forever. Don't worry about it. You guys go ahead and spend like there's no tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> Not as much as I love you guys. Okay, bye. Vinny, thanks for hanging on there. Now, the Juicy Fruits of yesterday's news. I tore up the contract this morning. Swan wants something new, something happening. Vinny, Swan can't do everything by himself. The man's not God. Trust me on that one. He's a busy man. He's got girls to audition, contracts to write, girls to audition. He just invented something called auto-tuning. Oh, that reminds me. Hang on. Shirley, bring me that T-Pain contract, will you, doll? Thanks. 
We need a big new lead. What about Kiss? Who? You're saying this band dresses like Kiss, looks like Kiss, but also mutilates the audience with blades on their guitar. I don't know, maybe they could open. Uh, they, what's a beef? Okay, I'm taking a chance here, but go ahead and send them down to the audition. I'm warning you, Vinny, if Swan don't like it, he'll get a stepladder, climb it, and punch you right in the groin. Bada bing, bada boom. Okay, booby, I'm trusting you. Gotta go. Ciao. From the company that brought you the lost recordings of Daryl D.B. Cooper comes another lost legend that defined an era. Ralph Mouth Records presents Beef Live After Death. Life by life, salutations from the other side. I can see that you're the devil's pride. Do you realize that all of you donated? Yes, it's the historic. The first and the final live performance of Beef at the Paradise Theater. You heard about it on the news. You read about it in the papers. And the actual audio was locked away in the Swan Archives, never to be released. But now, for the first time, you can experience Beef in a newly remastered, high-definition transfer from the original master tapes. Also included as a bonus feature for all the die-hard beefheads, the actual rehearsal tapes are included as well. Not to mention the isolated vocal tracks from the demo session from Beef's first recording. You don't know how right you are, Goliath. Okay, boys. From the bridge, hit it! Pass across and parted, this love affair was started long. Feeling the electricity yet? Is it blowing your minds? On a special second disc, you get more outtakes and studio commentary from Swan himself on the recording sessions and on the final performance as well. Not to mention that hit remix that was created by Ralph Mouth's very own recording artist, DJ Cookie Pants. It's the What Was That Extended Mix. What was that? Psycho. What was that? What was that? And yes, of course, we will top it off with the top 10 single mix that made Cookie Pants a star. Cincinnati to see my mother. 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 Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Cincinnati to see my mother. Cincinnati to see my mother. Cincinnati to see my mother. Cincinnati. 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 Anyone else who tried? Anyone? 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 Anyone else who tried? Anyone? 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 Anyone else who tried? Die. 
Where's the beef? It's right here. That's Ralph Mouth Records. Music you can taste. And now, Did You Know, with Harry Carey. Hi, everybody. This is Harry Carey, coming to you from the Helming Power Hour. I'm going to do a little thing called Did You Know, about the movie Phantom of the Paradise. Did you know that the death record secretary card index includes files on Alice Cooper, David Geffen, Bette Midler, Peter Fonda, Dick Clark, Chris Christopherson, and Ryan Sandberg. Did you know when Swan, played by Paul Williams, is adjusting Winslow's voice, the singer is not Finley, but actually Williams? This makes a little inside joke when Swan announces that the voice is perfect. Hi, everybody. Did you know that I'm a Cub fan and a Bud man. Hi, did you know that much of the movie deals with birds? The name's Phoenix and Swan, the Phantom's bird-like costume, Phoenix's dress after her first appearance, her feather jacket, Swan's bird vest, Beef's bird tail during his number, even the logo for Death Records is a bird. They should have went with a cubby. Hi, did you know that it's a long fly ball into deep left center? The ball is dropped. Sandberg tags and moves to third. Andre Dawson reaches on an error, and there's runners at the corners, and there's 3-3 tie in the eighth. Did you know that Jessica Harper beat out Linda Ronsaf for the role of Phoenix? Phoenix has the Diamondbacks out there playing baseball in a closed dome facility. Did you know director Brian De Palma originally considered the popular group Sha Na Na for the roles of the Juicy Fruits? That's a good gum. They were very popular at the time, but De Palma found them too difficult to work with and rejected them. Now that's just sad. You've been listening to Did You Know with Harry Carey on the Helming Power Hour. Hi, did you know that I went to a restaurant with Ron Santos one night called Phantom of the Paradise out in Cheyenne? I had a nice steak, medium well, with a side of fava beans and a nice Chianti. Folks, that's going to do it for us. Again, I'll just say it. I love this movie. Everything about it. Every nook and cranny. I don't know what those are, but I love every nook and cranny. And I don't know if one's bigger than the other, but this movie is awesome. Well, you know, the nooks are like nooks and the crannies are are crannies. Okay. That clarified that for me. You're welcome. (laughs) So do yourself a favor. Go out and watch this movie. 
I really doubt if you go all the way through it that you just say, eh, I don't know. It's one of those that takes a few viewings. It is, like I said, there's nothing else like it. The only thing you can possibly compare it with, and you said it while I go, was Rocky Horror. And it's not even really the same as that. Yeah, and um, I think maybe if it stuck to one storyline, like Rocky Horror, even as bizarre as it is, it might have a bigger following like Rocky Horror does now. But as we know, it has a huge cult following in Canada. And they they play this in a theater up there every year, right? Yeah, they have a big... They call it Phantom Palooza. And they get everybody that's in the movie to come up there and they do a big celebration. It was a huge, huge hit when it came out there. They got it. They understood it. And we just kind of missed the boat. I think it was just too much. And I would even say... if, if. of course, I would be little when it came out, but as a teenager in the 70s seeing it, I probably wouldn't have gotten it either. Uh, but nowadays, it's just so relevant to everything we see happening now that it just it's just mind-blowing that it did what it did in the 70s. I, I can't argue. I mean, I, I had not been familiar with it until you pointed it out to me, and ever since then, it's one that has to go in my top ten. It, it just... It, it came out of nowhere for me, too. I just discovered it back, I don't know, maybe late 90s, early 2000s. And I was just like, how in the world did I miss this movie? And uh, it just keeps growing on me. It, it constantly becomes a more favorite movie all the time. And it's already my favorite. So, there you go. So, trust my word. Trust Danny's words. You need to see this movie. Yeah. Come on. Just give it a shot. That's right. You won't regret it. <laughs> All right, so till next episode, I'm Rick. And I'm Danny. And we'll see you on the flip side. Yup, yup. <laughs> Hey folks, I suppose you're wondering, what is it you're supposed to take away from this week's episode? What lessons are we supposed to learn from old Winslow here? Well, I think we can learn a few things. One, never sign anything when asked to sign in blood. Two, if it seems like someone's trying to steal your life's work, they probably are. And three, never, under any circumstances, sign a contract without reading it first, especially when this much is on the line. Now maybe, if you're getting a credit card or you're you're getting a new internet service provider, you might be able to go to the end and just kind of sign your name. But in this case, when there's so much on the line and you're asked to sign in blood and you don't trust the guy, I'd read that contract. So from me to you, I hope you take advantage of this free advice and read before you sign. So thanks, everybody. And remember, actions speak louder than catchphrases. Good night, everybody. Members of the audience will receive the following. Classic Curves by Bittos, The Pants for Feel Good Company. A gift certificate from Maruchan Ramen Noodles. Rice-a-roni. All guests receive a copy of the Helming Home Game. Thanks to the creative minds and special appearances of Mark Allison, Jeremy Finch, and Jacob Kennedy. Helming is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. Check out all the great shows at legionpodcast.com. Helming is available on iTunes, 
Stitcher, Google Play, and Legion Podcast. This is Dan Pardo saying good night.